If you keep your Bibles, uh, turn to Romans 12 as we uh, dive into the Word. Just one thing, last week there were two high school students who made an announcement. If you were here last week, you heard that announcement. Um, I don't want to say who it was, but I will anyway. Tim O'Fang. Tim, is he over here? Yeah, there he is. Raise your hand. Pray for him and his friend Saul. And they made disparaging remarks, um, very inappropriate disparaging remarks about my favorite football team, the Dallas Cowboys. They also said some things about what was going to happen to the Cowboys last week against the Jets. I just, I just think you've got to be honest. The Dallas Cowboys have outscored New York sports teams, the Giants and the Jets, 70 to 10 the last two weeks. Think about that. All right, let's get into God's Word. Today we're finishing up our three-week series uh, on Romans chapter 12. And we are mapping on to three of the main priorities of Stonehill Church. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, knowing God, who He is and what He's done for us. And we learned that we're never going to really pursue knowing God unless we see what God has done for us through Jesus at the cross. He's pouring out of mercy and grace on us. Last week, we saw we need to love and serve one another, that the quality and the, the breadth and depth of our fellowship with one another goes to great lengths to show the reality of who God is. That God himself, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, li- live, has lived in communion with each other for all eternity, and we're to mirror that in the church. Today we're going to look at the third priority, engaging the world with actions and words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a priority where we're looking out to the world and, and how, to, how to make an impact, how to engage the world. And don't have, uh, Romans 12 it doesn't answer all of the different things that you could say about this, but it does give us a couple of pieces of instruction, a couple of pieces of advice and counsel that can help us Engage the world in a thoughtful, appropriate way with the gospel in terms of our actions, but in terms of our words as well in sharing the gospel. I want us to see three pieces, uh, some from Romans 12. I'm going to use another passage in Romans 10 to show you three pieces uh, that, that help us engage the world in a responsible way in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting as, as Paul begins this, uh, this verses 14 to 21, the text that we read just a minute ago, and he, he starts off by saying, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. And it, it, it seems to me that, that Paul is now looking outside the church. They, when you engage with people in the world who may be hostile, hostile to you, hostile, hostile to Jesus, and then because you're a follower of Jesus, hostile to you, here is some advice on how to deal with this. And it certainly, I think that's what 
uh, Paul is calling us to do. I think some of these verses you can apply to even situations within the church where you have somebody you're in conflict with. So you need to keep that in mind as well. I don't think I need to really belabor the point. I think it's pretty obvious that we live in a, in a, in a, in a context where hostility to Christianity and religion in general is, is, seems to be higher to me today than in other times. I think I've mentioned this before. When my dad was a pastor in Miami, Florida, we had a very diverse neighborhood made up of all kinds of people from all over the world. But most of the people in, in that little street that we lived on in Miami, Florida, most of them went to some form of religious services. And when my dad told them that he was a pastor, they, they genuinely sort of had a respect for his position. That doesn't happen for me too much. Very few of the people in, in my neighborhood go to church, or at least their cars seem to be in the same spot, unless they're Ubering to some religious service. They're not going anywhere on Sunday morning. And when I have to tell them, and I, I cringe almost, that I'm a pastor, you can see them go, oh, oh no. I've got a religious nutcase lives in my block. People are hostile. People are hostile about everything. It's not just religion or Christianity. Typically because of social media, there's all kinds of hostility that goes on in ways that are troubling and very destructive. You can also you know, think about the different conversations I have. I would say five or six times a year, I have conversations with people and, and, and they basically say, you Christians are the problem in the world. To which I say, I'm sorry. Sometimes we get lumped in with, you know, Islam and Judaism as well, so we get all three of them. It's hard to know what to do in a context like that. How do you respond to that kind of thing? More and more people I've talked to really get frustrated when they find out I'm a pastor and they say, are you telling people to worship God every week? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of a God would would want everybody to worship him? Your God is a megalomaniac. Okay. What do you say to that? How do you respond? Well, Paul gives us one piece uh, of advice. We'll look at the first sort of piece of of how it is we're to respond in a hostile world. And I'm going to look at four responses within this first piece of advice. And let's look at verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, I don't want us to get into a bunker mentality, right? I don't want everybody to leave and go, oh, we're under persecution. Oh, you know, let's, get, let's store up food and water and, you know, it's the end of the world. There are lots of believers all over the world that have it far worse than we do. There are many, many believers, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of believers all over the world who are not worshiping in a public space like we're doing right now. They're in a house church, huddled together, hoping that the police don't show up and they're all in jail. So let's not be martyrs here. But it's true, there is hostility. And what do we do? Well, the first piece, the first response here, first of four responses for this first piece of advice is that we're supposed to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. If we're, people are hostile to us in any way, 
a difficult person at work, a difficult person in your school, somebody who might be coming after you in some way, either just because they don't seem to like you too much or because they're hostile to Jesus and then to you because you're a follower of Jesus, we are called to bless those. Persecute us. Jesus, uh, speaking of the same issue, talked about blessing your enemies, and he talked about praying for your enemies. So certainly blessing someone who was hostile to you in any manner, a good way to respond to that is to pray for them. That is one gospel response that we can all do. And I think it's important even as you begin to pray for them, your first prayer for someone who's hostile to you may not be completely sanctified, but pray. Your prayer might be, Lord, bring justice under the head of this enemy of mine. You know who I'm talking about. My boss. <laughs> this person who's backstabbing me at work or in school. This person who quasi-bullying me in my middle school you pray. When you begin to pray for people, your heart over time begins to change. Just think about the world, the world we live in today, the hostile world where people bludgeon each other on social media. If we, of all people, would take any hostility or any conflict that we find ourselves in, and our first response is to pray for the person who opposes us or who we're in conflict with or who has harmed us or hurt us. You think that might make a difference? Not only in your personal life, but wouldn't it make a difference even here at Stone Hill if even the people we're in conflict with, we're, we're praying for them, that's our first response? Well, Paul mentions a second response, he says this in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. The second response in this first piece of advice for how do we respond to a world that can be hostile to us is to exhibit gospel humility to all people. We're not to be haughty. We're supposed to associate with anyone. Never be conceited. Gospel humility means we never look down on another person. How can we? We of all people who know that the only way we've, we're right with God is because God poured out his, the, the undeserved mercy and grace on us to rescue us from ourselves. How can we look at anyone, even those that are hostile to, to Christianity and maybe hostile to us, how can we look down on them? Because not too long ago, we all were part of that same world system opposed to God ourselves. And it's easy to do because the world lives in such confusion and the world does exalt evil for sure. It's easy to critique that confused and evil world. Paul is calling us in the midst of pushback to be humble. To not look down on other people, not to be conceited, not to view ourselves because we've received the grace of God to look down on other people. I think this is pretty important. If you are really engaging with your neighbors and your coworkers and your classmates, you're going to get a lot of pushback for the gospel. 
And I've had to endure, you know, uh, you know, sort of speeches made by my neighbors who've told me that the reason the world is messed up is because of Christianity and you guys have caused all these problems and they have a whole litany of all of the failures of Christians for the past 2,000 years. And there's quite a few of them. You got to learn not to be so defensive. A lot of times I look at him and say, yep, you're right. We don't follow Jesus very well. And then I throw you under the bus because I say we have a confession of sin every week. Because all 600 of the people who come to our church don't follow Jesus well in many ways and we confess our sins every week. It's important to have a humility. We have been given grace that we didn't work for or earn. We have been given grace that we didn't, uh, we, we, we haven't worked for in any way. And how can we look down on others? There's a third response, part of this first piece, and that is we've got to learn to forgive other people. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We are not supposed to try to enact vengeance for people who've harmed us, whether that's people in the church, whether that's people in our family, whether that's people outside the church, people who have a different faith, who may have harmed us or spoken negatively or over-negatively of us. We're not supposed to repay evil for evil. In other words, we're not supposed to try to get people back. But of course, I think for some believers, you stopped doing that, which is good. Good step one, don't try to get revenge yourself. But the reality is, if you were honest, in your heart of hearts, you're hoping someone else gets revenge. How many of us have felt kind of good when someone who's given us a hard time or some enemy of ours who's been very hostile to us and then they, something bad happened in their life and we go, yeah, yeah. That's not fully applying what God has to say here. He goes on in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Because we believe in a a Jesus who took our sin upon himself, we can then forgive other people because, because Jesus forgave us, but also because we know that God is going to return and Jesus will return and he will right all wrongs. Because he's going to make everything right, we can trust God to bring justice so that we don't take matters in our own hands. And allow for God to do what only God can do. There's another response that Paul gives us as part of this first piece of how to engage the world around us. In verse 20 it says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Well, Paul says, instead of withdrawing from those that oppose us or for those that we're in conflict with, we're supposed to move toward them and do what? Meet their needs. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. We're supposed to be proactively moving towards people, even people who are difficult, even people we're in conflict with, in order to meet their needs, whatever those may be. 
which often means we do all kinds of good things, loving things, even to those that are kind of problematic in our life. But I think it's more than that. It's, 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 it, the text you know, talks about being thirsty and being hungry, but I think anything that your enemy or your person who's opposing you needs, you, 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 you can talk to them about it. You can address it. It doesn't mean we're like we're, we're so passive and we just, you know, you know, we feed and, you know, give them drinks and, 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 then, and then not do anything else. We, we provide whatever our enemy or those who are hostile to us. So I've had conversations with people. I've had multiple conversations, about six or seven conversations after COVID and where People are telling me, I'm the problem, I'm the Christian, you're the one who caused all the problems. They're also telling me that atheism is the only rational pathway. And, uh, you know, I didn't get angry. I, I admitted that Christians had messed up. I, I was fine. I was trying to be humble. I was prayed for them. Uh, tried to do nice things for them. But it also meant I gave them something they needed, which was to give them something to think about. And so I've said to a number of my very uh, aggressive friends, uh, you know, when they're talking about the glories of atheism and the idiocy of Christianity, and I just asked them, well, what about the 20th century for atheism? How did that go? And they go, what do you mean? Well, I don't know, Stalin, that's 60 million dead. The Khmer Rouge, that's 3 million dead. Not to mention what happened in China with Mao Zedong. Um, it looks like atheism has some problems, too. And I said it gently. I didn't argue. I didn't get mad. And all of a sudden, the conversation changed a little bit. You give whatever your enemy needs. And sometimes your enemy needs some truth. Said winsomely, lovingly, humbly. And of course, I know some of you are, are already thinking about this question because you, don't, you want to avoid the text. So you're thinking, well, okay, let me give you a what if. Are you saying that if someone, in, if I'm being harmed, if I'm being bullied, if I'm being uh, physically uh, assaulted uh, you know, by my spouse or something, I'm just supposed to not seek revenge, be humble, pray for them, uh, you know, feed them and you know, give them something to drink and not do anything. Well, again, if, if, if your enemy's hungry, you, you feed him. If, if he's thirsty, you give him something to drink, but you, you, the enemy that you may have may need to have some other actions taken. For example, if your child's being bullied at school, you may start with Romans 12 in this way, but if the bullying continues and becomes a massive problem, you need to go talk to somebody at the school, of course. If you're being physically assaulted by a spouse or a family member, well, you need to get some help. Talk to someone, get a counselor, talk to someone and one of the leaders in the church or even call the authorities. That's all part of giving what your enemy may or may not need. What your enemy may need is that kind of action. The overall theme of this, this first piece of advice for dealing with a hostile world is do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think we vastly underestimate would a difference it would make in our school, where we go to school, difference it would make in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, if we followed 
the advice that God gives us through Paul in Romans 12, 14 to 21, where we are attempting to overcome evil with good. If you haven't noticed, we, we sort of live in a, in a culture that tries to overcome evil with more evil. When someone does something wrong, people are destroyed on on social media and everybody feels like, oh good, we told them what they needed. But the world gets worse, more crass, more corrupt, more hateful. So that's the first piece of advice. We of all people who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, who've been saved by grace, ought to be the, the one group in the world that when we get pushback, when we get hurt by anyone around us, we are praying for them. We're attempting to bless them. We have humility in how we deal with them. We, 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 we seek to um, uh, forgive them and, and be in a spirit and a posture of forgiveness. And we are willing to do whatever is needed to help the person that we're in conflict with. I wish I had obeyed these verses more clearly uh, when I was in college. I had a sweet mate uh, at, the, at the school I went to, and I was the dorm, the RA person, right? So I was trying to oversee this dorm. It was a Christian school, but not everyone who attended was a believer. And my sweet mate was really hostile to Christianity. He found out I was going to become a pastor, and he goes, oh, good. You know, just really obnoxious. And I shrunk away from him. I avoided him like the plague. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't know what to say. Okay, you don't like Jesus? Okay, I can't. I, 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 I avoided him. Of all the people on that room of guys at the dorm, I thought he's the last guy that will ever come to faith. And four months later, he shocks me by coming and telling me that he's become a follower of Jesus Christ. I thought he was joking. I thought he was about ready to mock me again. I said, no way. He said, yeah. And he told me that there was another guy on the floor across the hall, across the, the dorm from us. And that guy had kept sharing with him. Even when he was mocked for his faith, he kept loving and praying for my sweet mate. Kept praying for Ricky, kept doing good to Ricky. He kept engaging him and humbly answering his questions. And Ricky said to me, he said, you're a follower of Jesus, right? I said, yes. And you're going to be a pastor someday, yes. Why did you seem to avoid me when I mocked Jesus? And that convicted me. He went on to say, I'm so glad that Al, Al, across the the dorm there, kept after me, kept caring for me, kept praying for me, kept talking to me about Jesus. And God used him to bring me to faith in Jesus Christ. This is what applying these verses can do. And can change, in some sense, your workplace, can change in some place your neighborhood, can change even your school, if you put these principles into practice. That's 
piece number one. Let me show you quickly piece number two. Sometimes when, I, I, when we, we, we talk about engaging the world, I think some of you think what we're asking you to do is to get a bullhorn and go out on Nassau Street and start preaching the gospel. And you're welcome to do that if you would like. I'm not sure that will get a lot of good response. If you do it, tell them you're from another church. <laughs> but what the Bible often talks about when it talks about us engaging the world with the gospel, it talks about it in a much more organic and personal manner. Notice what it says in verse 13 earlier in the chapter. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Paul is encouraging the believers to show hospitality, to have people over to your home. But I think there's, there's other aspects of hospitality. Be friendly in your neighborhood. Get to know the people who live in your cul-de-sac. Get to know their names. Get to know their family. Get to know what they're going through. Get to know people in your school. Connect with people. Getting a cup of coffee or tea and talking and, 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 and finding out what's going on in their life. It's, it's inviting a fellow classmate tomorrow for lunch, if you're a middle school or high school, inviting someone who normally doesn't sit with your circle of friends, inviting them to your lunch table. Simply getting to know them, asking questions. I think to, 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 to a large extent, I think this kind of organic uh, engaging the world piece gets often overlooked but it's so crucial. I don't think you're ever going to be effective engaging the world with the gospel unless you are effective at showing hospitality at some level. Let me read to you this epistle of Diognetus. This was a letter written trying to uh, help Diognetus understand Christianity. This was written early in the first 300 years of the church, the church was started very small. It's now starting to grow in Rome. They're getting a lot of pushback from the, from the, from the government, but also from individual members of the Roman Empire. And this person's trying to help Diognetus understand how, why Christianity is growing and what it means. And here, listen to this. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. They marry as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but as citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws in their lands. They love all and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute, and yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are reviled and yet they bless. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. Undergoing punishment, they rejoice because they are brought to life. 
Notice in the middle of that quote, they share a common table but not a common bed. They were chased morally, but they opened up their table. They opened up their lives to anyone. If you read a book like Rodney Stark's The Rise of Christianity, it will show that in part that Christianity began to grow in the Roman Empire that first 300 years precisely because believers were spending the kind of organic personal time with their neighbors, with their co-workers. And in the context of that relational context, we're able to demonstrate and live out the gospel in a powerful way. Part of what should mark us is that we spend time building community with those who may not share our faith. We get to know them, we pray for them, we meet their needs. We take time to have a cup of coffee or a meal together. This is the second piece of engaging the world. There's one last piece. Again, there are more than just three pieces, but I need you to turn over a couple chapters to Romans 10, 9 through 15. Piece three is, is that we do need to open our mouths and share the content of the gospel. Paul says in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul beautifully describes the gospel. It's grace. It's mercy. It's trusting in what Jesus did, not in anything we have done. And then in verse 14, he says this, but how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Yes, we pray for those who oppose us. We we do good to them. We're humble with them. We meet their needs. We are in a posture of forgiveness. We we have hospitality with them. We, 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 We spend time with people, getting to know them and praying for them. But at some point, we do need to share the gospel in words. You need to open your mouth and say what the gospel is. And I don't know how to tell you this, but you're never going to grow in this area unless you try. Right? You don't get good at playing the piano. and You've got to practice occasionally. You don't get good at anything unless you do it. And, And you don't get good at something unless you do it very badly for a while. We all know this. My kids played instruments. It was awful. It sounded like ducks were dying in my house. It was was terrible. I lied to them and said, you're doing great. But it it was terrible. You're never going to get good unless you start to try to do it. And you're never going to get good unless you do it. Maybe you feel that that didn't go too well. Well, okay. Remember remember the first section? Humility. Humility. 
Now, I know some of you think, well, you went to seminary, Troxel. You know all the answers. No, I don't know all the answers. I've been stumped by people. I've done this in a conversation. Uh, 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 I'll get back to you on that. It's embarrassing a little bit. Humility, remember, humility, the first point. You start to put out pieces of the gospel. And as you begin to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, God will help you to be able to articulate his gospel more clearly, more effectively. At the end of the day, it's your quality of your presentation of the gospel is not the critical thing. You need to share it. First, you need to live it. Then you need to share it. And let God work through his gospel in a powerful way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in a world filled with hate, increasing hostility, Lord, I pray that we would be people who lower that hostility, lower that hatefulness by learning to live with others who don't share our faith in gospel-centered ways. I pray that we would be praying for those who oppose us, that we would have humility, that we would be in a posture of forgiveness, that we would learn to meet the needs of those that oppose us, that we would show basic hospitality to more people. And in the context of that showing hospitality and getting to know people, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share the beauty of the good news of the gospel with those around us. We pray in your name. Amen.